Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I am Haney. We're in Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 229, recorded on June the 6th, 2023. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. Do you know what June 6th is in Sweden? No idea. It's our national day. I was wondering, would it be? Yeah. So today is Sweden's national day. When is Finland's national day? You mean like the Independence Day? That's what you mean with a national day? I guess you could say that, yeah. Yeah. Ours is 6th of December, so half a year apart. There we go. So is that yeah. independence from Sweden or independence from... <laughs> I think the latest independence. <laughs> ah, because if you didn't know that, Sweden has uh, been a bit of a bully in the Nordics. And yes. most of Europe as well, because we, we decided that, yeah, we want it all. And we took it all. And then we lost it all. So we're back yeah. to just having Sweden. I think that's fine. <laughs> just to have your own you know, country. That's fine. I, I, I know, right? And, and <laughs> I think you should stick to the country you have and not try to grab others' countries. It's like toys. Leave people's toys alone. <laughs> yes. Is the same true with Azure services? You should leave other people's Azure services alone? I think that is advisable because otherwise you're going to be uh, charged with hacking or something. Ah, true. True that. That would be unfortunate. Yes. But speaking of toys, there there have been toys, because this is a, a news episode, as we switch between news episodes and, and focus episodes. So what news are there, apart from the fact that Simon is not here? Where is Simon, by the way? I don't remember. No, <laughs> I probably know, but I can't remember right now. All we know Sorry, is Simon. Simon is not here. Yes. He will be back, and we still have news to talk about, even without Simon. And it is kind of a interesting week, because, or an interesting episode, because we've just had Build. So it's kind of, there's been these uh, tricklings of news, which you cannot no longer tell. Was this actually, did this come out during Build, or did it come right after, or, you know. So it doesn't matter exactly. There's still some news to go through. And the first one uh, that I have is about Azure API management updates. And these were actually clearly published already during build. We just didn't have time in our build special sessions. So I kind of cheated and took it here. And so there's a few different things that came with API management. And I didn't even pick all of them. Uh, so I just pick and chose a few of them in this case. So there is a new... I don't know if it's an Azure product or what, but there's a new service called Azure API Center, which you can use, which is part of the Azure API management platform and enables then you to find your APIs and document them and govern them, etc. And I kind of get a sense like this is the improved version of your APIs view that you've had in your API management already, but more just the kind of the core information about your different APIs and what they do. 
So it is more like having a nice central view of the APIs that you have. Because I, I can imagine that the APIs, since, since they're so powerful and people, when they figure out how to do them, start creating APIs like crazy. And suddenly mm -hmm. you, you have this proliferation of APIs. You're, you're literally standing in APIs to your knees. But how do you yeah. find them? And this, this would be the way to do that. Yeah, exactly. And this way you can kind of get a centralized view of your different environments, whether it's dev, prod, you could have even multiple API management instances and so forth. So it really gives you that centralized view of everything as API Center could imply with the name itself, I guess. <laughs> there is also some improvements in the self-hosted gateway uh, capabilities. So you have been able to either use the um, gateway that comes with Azure API management when you create it, or you've been able to create your own self-hosted gateway that you host, for example, on-prem, if you are actually managing on-prem APIs. Uh, and this is, of course, its more recent addition to API management, so that then it also means that there are still features coming into this as well. And there is now WebSocket API pass-through for the self-hosted gateway option. It hasn't actually been around in the managed gateway either for that long as an option to do WebSocket APIs. So initially where you create a handshake with your application and then you receive, uh, you know, back information from the application. And then a second part is that there is also Azure AD token support in the self-hosted gateway with the Azure end of things. So previously, you would have to generate tokens every uh, 30 days, I believe, but now you have the capability to use managed identities and so forth to actually uh, have this Azure AD token capability in your self-hosted gateway as well. That, that sounds like a huge step forward, and if nothing else, yes. for, for security, because someone will automate something and it will be bad for security in that case. Uh, exactly. I have used uh, API management that much or why should say mm -hmm. at all when you describe the self-hosted option and doing apis for on-prem data sources is everything sorted on-prem or do you expose the apis through azure but you're you're talking to a a data source on-prem through this gateway yeah so you re register your self-hosted gateway with your azure api management instance and that way you have also the definitions of the APIs in like managed centrally, whether you use the self-hosted gateway or the managed gateway. So that's, that's kind of the idea. There was actually another addition that you can have a custom domain for your self-hosted gateway as well now. So there's a lot of these little kind of minute details that have been enabled that makes the entirety of it work much better together. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I also feel like... Today I have topics on interesting resources or resources I don't necessarily talk about every time so much. Uh, so the second set, again, it's more like a set of updates, has to do with Azure Event Hubs. And Event Hubs is an interesting service because it started off as a fairly native Azure resource, so to speak, but it has over time gotten a lot of um, updates that make it compatible with Apache Kafka and make it so that you can use 
uh, event hub somehow like uh, Apache Kafka itself. And there has been all these capabilities come in that kind of keep bridging the gap closer and closer so that they're not such two different things. You still have the fact that, uh, well, maybe I should tell what is Apache Kafka. <laughs> that might make sense. So if you haven't heard of that, that is a one of the very used open source um, systems that you would use for event uh, routing. So pretty much creating topics and then having, for example, applications subscribe to those topics, event topics. Or you could have your application write to Kafka, uh, a topic that then other things can subscribe to. Essentially a similar service than Event Hubs in Azure. But what has been coming into this is a few different capabilities that bridge the gap between these two services. So one of them is called Mirror Maker. And this is something that you would originally use between two Kafka instances to mirror a topic from one instance to another. And now you are able to use these between a Kafka and an Azure Event Hub. So you could have Kafka running on-prem, for example, and you could have an Event Hub in Azure. And you could use the Mirror Maker to replicate that topic from the Kafka to the Event Hub. That means that you don't necessarily, what you would have done previously is you would need to set up Kafka in Azure in some way. There's a few different ways in which you could do that if you wanted to use the Mirror Maker. So essentially that then gives you the capability to have your, for example, your subscriber in Azure and read directly from the Event Hub topic instead. But I'm, I'm, I'm super curious about Kafka because I've been dabbling with Debezium and Debezium mm -hmm does not care about Event Hub. Debezium wants to talk to a Kafka endpoint, uh, mm -hmm. which is essentially just a checkbox inside of, of Event Hub. But yeah. it's not that simple, is it? It's not a it's not Kafka. It is a Kafka no. endpoint. Yes, which means exactly. that it, it will behave as if it was a Kafka server. What is the actually actual difference, would you say, from from the, the perspective of Debezium in this case? I'm pointing Debezium at a Kafka endpoint in Event Hub. Will mm -hmm. everything work exactly as if I had it in, in Kafka or is anything changed, do you think? Um, I think the approach is a little different. Kafka is like a full platform for managing your different event topics. Whereas when you create an Event Hub, you're essentially then just having those streams of event go through. So within Kafka, you can even do some um, configuration and manipulation on the go, whereas in Event Hub, it's just the topics that you have there. Um, the Kafka kind of the endpoint has very specific um, definitions, what it's like. So they've been able to implement that in Event Hub so that it looks like a Kafka endpoint. But there is also a very specific way in which Kafka handles the topics and the messages in the topics. I haven't dug deep into what is the difference exactly, but I would believe there's some difference in how Event Hub handles the topics versus how Kafka handles the topics. Fair enough. But as you said, Event Hubs do only a fraction of the things that Kafka does. Yeah, 
Exactly. Cool. And there is another kind of Kafka-related improvement that has come into Event Hubs, and that is the support for Kafka Connect. And Kafka Connect Kafka Connect? is... Kafka Connect. Sorry. <laughs> Kafka Connect is a set of connectors that you can use to connect to some sourced data sets and also then to connect to syncs. And so this enables you to use those connectors also with event hubs, not just Kafka, which can really um, increase the speed of being able to create these event streams, which are not always actually really easy to create, especially if you would like to get events out of something that is not maybe built for that then the connectors could come in really handy and in that case. And then third topic that I have on my plate is stream analytics updates. Yes. <laughs> and I was interested because I saw that there was quite many updates again around this as well. So I only picked a few. Uh, again, very interesting and kind of relates to the event hub updates as well. So the first one is that there is now a private preview to have a Kafka input and output with Azure Stream Analytics. So if you're using Kafka and you would like to get that stream into Azure Stream Analytics, there's now a built-in deserializer that is able to make sense of the data coming in, and you can then directly do your stream analytics on that service specifically and run with it. So if you're interested in that, there is a link in the show notes where you can find a link to a form that you can fill in to try to get into the private preview. So it is still private preview. And I do think this is a really interesting um, improvement because it's not always easy to handle streams. It's not <laughs> straightforward. So, and another aspect, what has been lacking in Azure Stream Analytics has been the virtual network integration capabilities. And a lot of times you do want that uh, communication to be done through private networks. So there is now the capability to also have your Azure Stream Analytics deployed in a virtual network, essentially, as a container. So it is kind of full-on integration into your VNet, not just a private endpoint. Wow. And I kind of brought this here also as an interesting point, because I think lately what we've seen is services getting private endpoints instead of this capability to really like deploy them in your VNet. And I'm interested to see if this is maybe like a starting trend or like where where will this go with this capability? And is this something that we will start to see more? And should we really be building our security around VNets in the cloud as well? I think it's an interesting discussion. And maybe we should have that at some point in our focus segment. But yeah, just still networking things coming in as well. I just became very curious. What else can you deploy physically in your same uh, VNet, for instance? Because I, I was, my mind was already going uh, private endpoints. Well, of course, you could then have like your, I don't know, databases or any data service that you want to write to, connected to your VNet with private endpoints. 
Yeah. So that's fine. The issue often with private endpoints is that they're the incoming endpoint, whereas a stream analytics job has both inputs as well as outputs. So only, also the outgoing traffic has to be able to go into the private network or into the VNet that you have. I had not so thought So that, that way you can get to the private endpoints that you might have or to the service endpoint. It, it doesn't really matter what you use for the connectivity. So it's, it's really interesting to see how it goes. Would you, do you have any idea if there is any pricing difference between using stream analytics as a, a service or deploying stream analytics inside of your VNet? I actually haven't checked that yet. It just came out into public preview, so it's ah. not GA yet. Yeah, so yeah. We'll probably also see a pricing change going For forward. Sure. I mean, Stream Analytics is a super cool tool. It can also uh, bite you uh, cost-wise. Uh, you need to be careful with how, how you set it up. And that brings us to our next news item in regards to Stream Analytics. There is a new pricing model. Really? Yes, there is. So apparently it seems that there has been this observation that, oh, maybe this is a little bit high <laughs> on the pricing side. So they have decided to uh, change that pricing model and um, have this uh, more flexible model to go within. And I'm just trying to get here. So it is based on the streaming units. Uh, so if you have one or less streaming units, then, uh, and you consume it from uh, zero to 730 hours, the price is $0.33 per hour. So this is the do dollar amount for this. So that's just then you have kind of these tiers in terms of how many streaming units you use, as well as how many hours you use. So the more hours you use, the more the price, actually, the hourly price decreases as well. And there is, of course, a little bit of difference between the regions, but uh, you can check the exact pricing from the pricing calculator, for example, for your region. And this is called the V2 pricing, and it will be available starting July. So you can already look into it if you're using stream analytics. Interesting. Yeah, I think so too. All right. So back to build, because uh, not only has everything sort of kind of petered out since build, everybody is still in shock after build, I think, uh, mm -hmm. because Fabric came out. Uh, used to be called Trident, and since I cannot keep them apart, so it's it's either um, Trabic or, or or Fabrent or or any combination of, of <laughs> Trident and Fabric. So this uh, we're going to be doing. So next week it's going to be a a full um, episode on Fabric and discussing Fabric. But what Fabric is is a um, software as a service offering of just about everything we've had in Synapse previously. So the old dedicated pools, we have Spark, we have Azure Data Factory, we have so many more cool things and stuff that we never had, such as Data Activator. And mm. I, I cannot 
go into details on these things today because that would literally leave us here for the rest of, of <laughs> eternity. But let's just say that this is, and I do not use this word lightly, this is a game changer. Things will change. And then so many people that I've talked to have all expressed overwhelmed is, is the word that they use. And I, I, I agree with that because it, it required so much thinking to figure out what does this mean for mm. me? Um, and I, I'm still not done thinking about this and I, I don't think I will be for the, the foreseeable future, but let's just say that it is an, a super interesting offering. I've only managed to break it twice. Uh, so far, just I, twice. I, have, I, well, I'm getting old. Um, I have two bugs um, already reported, it, which is the way it should be with with previews. Come on, it's it's a completely new product, so it will have some rough edges. But I am just blown away by the fact that everything works so well, especially yeah. at the lower costs. Yeah, exactly. Instead of having to puzzle together a database here, a data lake here, um, some Azure Data Factory pipelines, and some duct tape and some glue, and, and voila, there we have a, a analytic solution that you really don't know how much it's going to cost you. Here you get a fixed price per month if you want to. And an F2 SKU, the lowest SKU, which does not look like a lot on paper, is a whopping $250. Yeah, I mean, just think about that. $250 for a complete uh, data warehousing solution or, or analytics platform. It is just, it's insane. It's unheard of. And the scary part, it delivers like, yeah, wow. So yeah, I'm going to come back to that in our next episode. Almost like an afterthought, we had the Power BI May update. And, and Power BI is still a part in Fabric. It, it, it turns out that just about every Power BI user group in the world, bar mine, has decided to change the name to Fabric User Group. Um, I won't. I'm going to stick to Power BI User Group because that's what what I I, I think is is prudent in my case. But we have a lot of updates in the May updates, and one of them is the so-called measure-driven data labels, and th this has been a huge ask for so long and it means that you can have data labels in a visual uh, change uh, from the result of a measure so you can dynamically show or hide or add or make um, uh, call outs and stuff uh, again something that we've seen in tableau but it has been missing in in power bi for quite some time this is just the beginning it there, there are many more things planned in, in the pipeline going forward, but this is a fantastic first step, and I, I just love it. We also have Azure Log Analytics for Power BI datasets. And uh, what is yeah. that? There was a preview, um, a Power BI integration with Azure Log Analytics. What does Log Analytics do? Well, You'd be surprised to hear it analyzes logs. It's really, really, really good at digging through uh, logs. The problem with the preview was that you had a one-to-one -one relationship, so you could not have a number of um, workspaces 
you, you can have a single workspace per log analytics workspace. And that kind of defeats the purpose. With the general availability of this feature, now you can have multiple workspaces writing to one log analytics workspace. And suddenly you can do much more analytics on your analytics. And I'm pretty sure that Simon Whiteley will make a sticker of that very soon. So finally, you can use log analytics for what it's supposed to, getting lots and lots of data sources, mashing them up mm. and giving you insights on how your Power BI environment is being used. Definitely um, a useful feature going forward, I'll say that. One part of Fabric that we simply have not had before is the Direct Lake integration. And a quick uh, walkthrough of what, what Direct Lake is. Underneath Fabric is a data lake. It's called One Lake. And I'm not going to go into naming <laughs> schemes because I will just be upset. So One Lake is the place where everything gets stored. And I love the idea because that that's where everything inside of Fabric gets stored. Everything in Fabric gets stored in a Parquet, uh, well, technically it's Delta Lake format, which is Parquet plus a log. So it behaves almost like a database. Previously, we could import stuff into Power BI, meaning that in Power BI grabs data from a source and pulls it into Power BI and turns it into uh, a very specific format, the, the VertiPack format inside of Power BI. That means that it is super fast. It is like blazing fast as you click around in, in Power BI. Thing is, you need to move the data inside of Power BI. So you need to import it, as it says on the tin, into Power BI. All right. So the obvious solution to this is to use direct query, meaning that instead of bringing anything into Power BI, whatever you do in Power BI will result in a query to a data source. That may or may not be a good idea. For most of the time, it is a horrible idea. It sounds like the best idea ever until you actually try it. And th there are there are use cases for sure, but they are few and far between. And, and anybody who's ever tried Power BI knows that, yeah, it's, it's probably not the way you want to go. What they did with One Lake and the Parquet and the Delta format was that someone, and I think this was um, the work of Amir Nets, someone had a brainwave and thought, what if we store stuff natively in the One Lake in the format that Power BI can read? Because VertiPack is also a columnar data format. So long hmm. story short, what is happening is that the the, the Delta uh, format is being read into Power BI natively. So you're combining direct query and import mode, essentially. So you're reading the data from the one lake and reading it straight into memory. You do not need to do any juggling, any massage, nothing. It just goes straight into the format that Power BI uses. And boy, it is unreasonably fast. Like, Damn, this is a, 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 there we go again. It's a game changer. Now, a lot of people have tried this on, on Twitter and stuffed lots and lots and lots of data in there. Um, James Dales of the uh, London Fabric user group, not the <laughs> London Power BI user group. Uh, I, I can't remember from off the top of my head how many gazillion rows of data he used to do uh, mapping, but it just just works it's it's blazing fast even on a small 
sized skew. A question for those who might not be so familiar with the one lake concept. Can you turn your existing Azure data lake into your one lake to do this direct, uh, what was it called now? Direct lake? <laughs> yes, to do the direct lake mode with it. So that that is that is a really good question. And um, yes, ish. <laughs> ish. So one lake is an Azure Data Lake storage. It is, I was about to say nothing strange with it, but it, it has some bells and whistles that a nor normal ADLS does not have. But from a management perspective, it's the same. It's just inside a fabric. So at this moment, I am not aware of any tooling to automatically migrate a, an Azure Data Lake into uh, the one lake. I, it would be dead simple to do so because you can just copy and, and paste because it's, again, it's it's a, a data lake. But maybe you would need to read the data and write it down again as Delta unless you already have it in Delta format. But there is another feature uh, that I was planning on, on waiting for until next week, but I'll mention it. It's called a shortcut. A shortcut is... Essentially, and this is going to tell the world how old I am, a symbolic link. It's a sim link that we've had in, in Unix file systems since the beginning of time. And you can do direct link over a shortcut. So you can have your storage or, or your data either in an Azure Data Lake or in an Amazon S3 bucket if you want to create a shortcut to that in your one lake, and then do direct lake to that shortcut. It's not going to be super fast if you have it in S3, but it's doable. And that is really, really, really cool. So this, this opens yeah. up so many scenarios for, for in integration and, and connection and stuff. And, and one thing that I, I forgot to mention is that Parquet and Delta is completely open source. Yeah. You are not locked in at all, and you can access everything in your one leg from anywhere and everything if you want to. So super yeah. excited to see where we go with this. Very exciting stuff. Yes. And and also exciting is, guess what? We're out of time for this episode. We are. We will be back in one week's time with a um, proper... Fabric special. Proper fabric special. Is it a, a tribic special or is it a, a um, fabrant special episode on no. fabric? We we'll will see. be back in another week. And uh, thank you so much for listening and have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Hidden Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Abitson, Simon Binder, and Haini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at hidden